the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more, wealth creation, wealth preservation, assets under management, liabilities, insurance, goals, financial goals, getting married, anything that's on your mind we can talk about because it's all financially tied together. It really, truly is. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. CFP is an accreditation that I respect enormously, standing for Certified Financial Planner. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well. How about you? Doing good. Thanks for asking. Uh, all I can say is doing well. RSUs. Um, one thing in the financial media world or the financial world is there's a lot of terms that people just don't understand. What do we need to know about RSUs? Well, especially when you know certain companies have run up in value and people start to get over-allocated stocks, one of the best ways to, to, to figure out which ones to sell first are to understand what you have. And the most common type of grant these days is an RSU, which is restricted share units. And the best way to think about them is it's a deferred cash bonus that's paid to you in phantom stock. Okay, so... It's the the company's basically saying if you stick around for these time periods, we're going to pay you more cash, but we're going to use our stock as currency to do that. Okay. So uh, the problem is that people still think in the terms of the older stock options, which have leverage, which have certain tax kind of uh, tricks and things like that with incentive stock options that I've talked about. RSUs, not so much. So you got to think of RSUs as a deferred cash bonus that's paid with uh, stock as the currency from the company. Okay. Um, going on a little bit further more about RSUs, when you create that wealth, um, you know, like I own a lot of Apple, and it's probably too much Apple. What percentage of restricted op- stock options would you say is, is a good idea versus a bad idea? Um, well, as you get closer and closer to retirement, you don't want to have more than – you know, four or five percent in any one company stock because gotcha. if if you have that much in that company stock and it happens to go through a horrible period in time, 
companies go through cycles. The companies like, you know, IBM going through a big restructuring. Companies that were once great can go bad and then they have to reinvent themselves. So, you know, when you're younger and you're building your portfolio, it's going to be tough to not have a big, huge chunk in the company that you work for because you've got options, RSUs, ESPPs, and all those other things. So the issue is that RSUs, as they vest, they're taxed. Usually what happens is they vest, they sell a couple shares to, to make up for the tax withholding, and then the shares are just sitting in an account for you, and there's no special tax break for somebody to continue to hold these things. So if you already have a lot of money in your company's stock, those are the first shares that you look at selling immediately after they vest because there's no tricks like there are with ISOs. There's no leverage like there is with non-qualified stock options and instead of stock options. They're, they're just there, sitting there. So if you're already overweight in your company's stock that you work for, as they vest, sell them and diversify yourself. How about tax treatment of RSUs? Well, that, like I just said, it's, it's, as they vest, they are taxable, 100% taxable. Okay. So sell them right after they vest. And the biggest thing with the tax okay. issues is make sure you bring your options into your CPA. And, and I'm not talking about you do your tax return. I'm talking about this time of year. I always try to encourage people in the fourth quarter of the year to go meet with their tax advisor, their financial advisor, run some modeling. And part of that modeling is, What's your vesting schedule? You have various types of options, whether it's RSUs, ISOs, or, or non-quals. With non-qualified stock options and instead of stock options, you got to know what the expiration date is. you got to exercise and pay the taxes before then. But RSUs, you might have various grants, and they could be kind of lumpy, if you know what uh-huh. I mean, where they're maybe a lot vest in 2014 but not much in 2015. So your, your tax taxes may be different from year to year. So, um, you know, make sure that your your tax advisor is aware of your vesting schedule. Okay. With that being said, um, there's something called vested shares. And what I'm clearly getting out of talking to you is that RSUs are difficult to grasp what you have, what they're worth, taxable consequences. Uh, let's, you know, go into a little deeper. What are vested shares and what should we do with them? So the vested shares, those are the ones that once they vest, and some some are sold to pay for the tax withholding that's required because it's going to all show up as income. Um, Those are the ones that are sitting in whatever brokerage account waiting for you to do something with them. And so the question is, should you sell them? Well, yeah, if you already have over 5% in that company's stock, I would sell them and, you know, use the money first to look at saying, okay, I've got extra money. Do I need to increase my 401k contributions and then live off these? Do um, I need to fund a Roth IRA with this money? Uh, use the money more wisely in a more diversified portfolio. And uh, so most of the time you would sell it. The next one you typically look at is is your ESPP shares, and then, then you've got you know non-qualified stock options, and instead of stock options, which are another story. And they're, they're, they're the least common type. You know, in the, in the past, people would get all these non-qualified and instead of stock options. They're coming back a little bit, but still – they're not as common as these RSUs. So RSUs are the most simple ones to understand. You just got to think of them as a deferred cash bonus that's paid in, in stock with currency. There's no leverage, and there's no incentive to hold them long-term after they vest. There's those special tax breaks. So treat them as a deferred cash bonus and diversify your portfolio with them. Anything else that we need to know about stock options? I'm speaking with CFP, Chad Burton, New Focus Financial. 
newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. Anything else that we need to know? But check it out if you want to um, get kind of a read a step-by-step of what I was just talking about. Uh, one of our advisors, Corey Evans, wrote a blog on this. It's up right now at newfocusfinancial.com. Um, so check that out there. CFPs can write as well? They can. I did not know that. I just thought y'all had, uh, what are those things called? Calculators. calculators? <laughs> now, what's the calculator, the Chinese calculator? Oh, the abacus? Abacus. I thought you all just walked around with abacuses. Abacus eyes. <laughs> abacuses. In my, in my, yeah, if I open my coat, one pops out. I haven't used the word abacus probably since like elementary school. Anyway, with that being <laughs> said, right, right? <laughs> it's been a while. It's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Stock options, clearly um, a complicated situation, which typically is a good situation because you're working for a company, publicly traded. They're giving you a piece of ownership in it. Uh, again, I look at stock options always from the very, very get-go as not an investment, but part of your income that kind of becomes an investment. Um, and I, that's where people, I think, need to be a little bit on the cautious side uh, because you work for Visa, you work for Apple, you work for Google, and you, a lot of your wealth is tied up in one company. But not only that, so is your health care. Not only that, so is your car payment and your rent or your mortgage, your ability to pay those. So to me, it is important to pay attention to this um, and to honor it like with respect and to make sure that you don't get too much overweighting in your stock options. So it's CFP Chad Burton. Um, like I said, or like he said, you can go to newfocusfinancial.com, get a copy of what he was just talking about, how are RSUs taxed, should you sell your vested shares, yes or no, what exactly are RSUs, and much, much more. I'm Rob Black. Take a break here. You can find me online at robblack.com. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Take a break. We'll be right back. Fewer Americans filed for jobless benefits in the last four weeks. Thursdays are the first time unemployment claims. And we get them every Thursday. First Friday of the month, we get employment numbers. First Friday of every month. Uh, so we won't get one of those numbers again until next Friday. Um, Halloween falls on a Friday. What's interesting about Halloween falling on a Friday? Hollywood is distraught over it because what night do you go to the movies? Typically Friday and Saturday nights. Um, and they're not having a very good year. So the four-week average of jobless claims, a less volatile measure, fell to 281,000 in the period ended October 25th. That's the lowest level since March uh, 2000. Uh, compared with the prior week, applications for benefits rose by 3,287,000. So 281,000, really good number. Claims are running at the lowest level in years, and that's encouraging news. So when you hear about horrible things in the world, just note that claims and employment probably trumps that. Let's talk a little real estate. 
Let's welcome in Tony Mendez. Tony and I go way back. He's someone that I trust. He's someone I've done loans with in the past. He is my lender. You can find him online at bayarealoansource.com. That's bayarealoansource.com. I am in my world of the stock market, of companies and picking stocks and the economy and interest rates as tied towards borrowing costs for corporations. You, on the other hand, see things a little bit differently. I don't see everything you see. And like an FHA loan, I don't even know what it is. What's it? Sta- what is it? Federal Housing Administration. Okay. It's, it was started back in the 40s to help them and low credit borrowers get into housing. It was an initiative, uh, and it's still around. It's, it's now slowly becoming or fast becoming the new subprime. Subprime is gone. Those are those tricky loans, the stated income, interest only, and negam loans. FHA kind of replaced that. It's also a low down payment program. You can put as little as 3.5% all the way to $729,000 loan here in the Bay Area. So it's a tool that people use when they have um, a lower lower income, lower credit scores, and lower down payment. It's not always the best tool to get into real estate, especially if the market's going to be flat or you think your job might go away sometime soon or you might decrease income or lose some income from a family member if they get you know have a child, for example. Um, but there are some advantages to it. You, know, you can get gift money from okay. a, a couple other places. You can have non-occupant co- uh, co-borrowers, meaning you can have your parents help you co-sign. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do the first one first. Gift money. What is gift money, and how does it tie to an FHA loan, and why is that a good thing? Um, gift money is gift from a family member, for okay. example. And you can do that in most cases with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, your regular conventional loans. But all of the gift can come from your family as opposed to having it to put in a Five or ten percent in the Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Um, gifts are, are a good thing, I, I think, and it's a way that you know families help each other out. Um, but it's it's still my goal that no matter what I do in a real estate transaction, I always try to get twenty percent because the extra down payment that you put in is going to get rid of that mortgage insurance, and it's all about the rate of return. With FHA has a high mortgage insurance, and this is the the con to FHA is. Not the con, meaning it's a is a scam. It's the, the pro and con. Is mortgage insurance for FHA has gone up year over year over year since 2006. It's over one and a quarter right now on a monthly basis, and that's planning on going up again. And they're about to change the rule about keeping your mortgage insurance for five years and then being able to eliminate it once you hit 78 percent. It's called now life mortgage insurance, life of the loan mortgage insurance. So it's becoming a lot more expensive. Do you use FHA? It has regained popularity recently. But it's it's probably going to go away. FHA has been having some trouble keeping their balance sheet straight. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit FHA. That's a product. I don't know it. I trust that people like you know all the products out there. Um, You one time showed me something called Loan Sifter that you punch in someone's name, address, income, and it basically starts telling you, you know, who will loan this person how much money. Uh, do I need to know about FHA, or do I just need a good lender who knows about all the programs out there? If you have, if if you're in a product, uh, buying a house or refinancing, your loan amount is conforming, meaning it conforms to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, and you have at least 10% equity, you don't need an FHA loan. You can you'll still get a mortgage insurance, but it'll be a lot less lowering. But your rate might be a little higher. But your mortgage insurance will drop off at a certain point, as opposed to FHA. Um, I think if you were to do normal 
payments on a 3.5% down, you're looking at over seven, eight years of keeping mortgage insurance as opposed to somebody who gets bonuses. Let's say you get a, uh, you're looking at the difference between FHA and a conventional, and you have 10% down. Should you use FHA or should you use a conventional? I'd use conventional if you had a way to get that loan balance below 80% of the original appraised value because your MI will drop off. FHA, you have to keep it a minimum of five years. The new proposal will make you keep it for the life of the loan. Yeah. Like I, said, like I said, when we started this segment, there's some things that I don't know. I'm actually kind of glad I don't know all those thoughts on FHA. You know, I get the low down payment. I get the, the rate, same as a conventional, but it's too much for me to retain. I'll give you a reason why you'd want to use FHA. If your credit score was 640, yeah. you're going to have a much higher rate if you use a conventional. But FHA has a flat, a flat rate for whether you have a 640 or an 800 score. So that's another reason to use FHA. Got it. That's Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. If you're shopping for a home, you're going to need to shop for a loan. Contact him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black. Visa shares <clears throat> jump as earnings beat expectations. MasterCard's numbers beat expectations. It's interesting because we kind of live in that world where we continue to see things like Apple Pay, and we're like, "Where's the, what's the world of what does that mean to Visa?" and Square, and PayPal, and we keep hearing about a cashless society. And I think Visa and MasterCard still seem to be right at the center of it in a perfect position. I like both stocks with a long-term patient investor. Never, ever for a short-term trade, um, unless you know, the market pulls back 30%, then maybe you can pull off a trade. But that's the kind of company that I like to have on a shopping list. Visa's profit fell about 10% in the fiscal fourth quarter, weighed down by one-time litigation expenses. It's the one-time litigation expenses which Wall Street can see beyond. Visa's results are closely watched because they could also be a window in the buying habits and financial health of consumers. And the world's ultimately, they are the world's largest processor of debit and credit card payments. So they said the uh, payments on its systems are as 11% to $1.2 trillion in the last three months, July through September. So Visa reported earnings of about $1.07 billion. Long after Apple loses its luster, I still think we'll have companies like Visa and Bank of America and Wells Fargo doing what they do. And am I predicting Apple will lose its luster? I'm not. But maybe at some point for sure, you know, there's been personal consumer technology companies that, you know, were short-term fads. Apple, it's a long-term play, but... Could they become kind of a Sony? Absolutely. Do we see it on the horizon at this point in time? No. Um, all it takes is one breakout product for a company to start stealing market share. Fortunately for Apple, they're still taking from companies like Microsoft. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. Already talked a little bit about Visa's numbers and MasterCard's numbers. Let's bring in special guest Ross Kenneth Erkin from MainStreet.com, affiliated with TheStreet.com as well. Mr. Erkin, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. Let's talk about credit cards. You've recently penned an article about credit cards and millennials and men. What do we need to know? So everyone is thinking about the recent credit card breaches, and it seems like there are too many to name between Target and Michaels and Home Depot. Basically, anywhere you shop on a regular basis uh, is compromising your information. And um, the street did a poll through GFK, and we found that actually um, uh, an unexpected number of men are uh, switching to cash in light of these breaches. They're a little bit afraid of using their credit cards uh, as opposed to women. And then um, the factor is with millennials, they're more likely uh, to use cash because they have an aversion to the plastic for fear of uh, mounting debt. What's interesting to note about that is I think we all go through a period of our life where we're like, oh, credit cards are bad. I got into trouble once with credit cards and then you go to debit cards, then you realize like credit cards aren't bad. It's me. It's I got myself in trouble. I didn't pay my monthly bills. I got started buying dinners I shouldn't have bought. Um, does some of that tie into the story, or does that some of that tie into the psychology here? Absolutely. I think that you need to look at the fact that the average American household has $15,000 in credit card debt. That's not because um, of the credit card companies or because of um, the security breaches. It's because people have been irresponsibly swiping, as we say, uh, in the trade. And uh, it's important for people to stay on top of their expenses, not charge uh, when they don't have the money to pay off the monthly bill. Um, but I think that men who maybe stereotypically are uh, more obstinate in their spending habits are, are switching to cash because they see this fear, they have a hunter-gatherer mentality, and uh, they want to protect the household. So if you already have um, this piece of plastic that has uh, kind of a uh, fraught history with credit card debt, et cetera, uh, and people start to see that it's becoming more problematic, they're going to gravitate uh, more toward a secure, um, non-identity-based form of payment cash. Now, you're talking about men being the hunter-gatherers and obviously trying to protect the family, but credit cards are a great way of protecting. They offer wonderful perks and benefits against fraud and against um, you know, guarantees and warranties on things that you buy. And yet, again... We're skipping over that because of the headline news. Right. And it, it can't be stressed enough that uh, a lot of this paranoia and um, desire to transform to another uh, payment platform, um, you know, be it cash or be it a digital platform, you know, does ignore the fact that by and large credit card technology is safe. And uh, these hacks and breaches that are cropping up are uh, not the norm. So what people can do is, you know, continue get the, getting the benefits, um, continue to charge on your card and, um, you know, check your statements. Make sure you're checking your free annual credit report and um, going into your 
um, especially during the holiday season, going into your online statement for your credit card perhaps every day or at least um, multiple times a week to make sure that you don't have any erroneous charges and to make sure that everything's in order. Um, so yeah, what we stressed from this survey is that, look, two-thirds of Americans are uh, very afraid or at least somewhat uh, scared of all the news and headlines and uh, brouhaha surrounding credit cards, but more often than not, uh, that uh, a little bit of paranoia is unnecessary if you're taking the responsible steps. And another step you could take is um, I've got my credit cards all linked in to text me anytime there's a purchase of over $200, things like that. And I have Credit Karma, which is an app that will email you or text you if you open up any new lines of credit. So um, I'm kind of with you. It seems like there's a lot of people who are fearful for not not bad reasons, but just overly fearful. It's true. The the other element that I would add um, to this wrinkle is just that the U.S. is behind in credit card technology. We don't have the pin and chip cards that basically every other developed country in the world has. And that does put our technology, the magnetic stripe, at a disadvantage, uh, but it still is a relatively secure mechanism. Now, how about Apple Pay? You know, I, I remember in the 1970s, you didn't legally have to wear a seatbelt, and when they forced you to wear a seatbelt, people were in an uproar, and it took a while to get used to. Um, how long is it going to take for us to get used to Apple Pay? It's very difficult to say. The um, naysayers of the digital wallet predict, you know, decades from now, and um, others are more bullish on uh, widespread adoption of the digital wallet just because think of the convenience of leaving the house um, without a purse, without uh, a wallet, and just having everything you need um, in one platform that is secure. And, and that's kind of the um, value proposition that Apple is trying to promote. Um, the difficulty is that um, people are a little bit afraid uh, still with this anxiety over uh, a new form of payment. We're slow adopters, uh, and especially when it comes to a new uh, form of payment. So I don't think um, that we're going to see uh, this form really take off um, before 2020. But, uh, you know, the numbers point to the fact that it's uh, very, very uh, popular or increasingly popular, um, even though 20% of Americans in the streets poll uh, said they'd be likely to switch over to a digital platform. Anything else in your article, Mr. Erkin, that you think we should highlight? Anything left to hit upon? Well, just in the vein of um, Apple Pay, the, the actual um, encryption that it provides, where it's basically isolating each payment um, from your personal information, is unique, and that's something a credit card doesn't provide. So um, it, it is a little bit of a catch-22 here. We're afraid of adopting a technology that is more secure because we're afraid of uh, the actual technology and its own security. So, uh, you know, it is a vicious circle, and I think um, through inertia and through education, consumers will get comfortable with the idea uh, of doing more things digitally. Thanks very much.
That is the one, the only street.coms and mainstreet.coms. Ross Kenneth Erkin, too scared to use credit cards. Men and millennials pay without cash is his newest article. Credit cards are a big part of our financial picture. Uh, very, very important to use them correctly, to not get in over your head, uh, but also not to be fearful. I was a little bit surprised, and not like in a leery kind of way, but you know, men 18 to 24 years old, you know, would use cash. 61% would use cash over, you know, uh, charging if they could. Um, 66% of all consumers are concerned that their information will be stolen. It probably already has been. 61% of women, 71% of men. So it's odd to me that this is more of a masculine thing than a feminine thing, but women are programmed to be optimal, you know, efficiency, focusing on maintaining the, you know, hearth and the health of their children. Women, on the other hand, the caretakers, raise the babies, you know. Uh, men hunt food, shop. <laughs> we both do, don't we? So I only see people pay with um, credit, but I'm surprised. Clearly, I'm not seeing what the rest of the world is seeing. Anyhow, San Francisco. San Francisco, the city by the bay. It's arguably one of the hottest real estate markets in the nation, fueled by the tech economy. It has a very limited supply of homes. It's tough to build homes here. Um, there's not a lot of space uh, that hasn't been built on already. Fierce competition is the result of trying to get a home when there's not that many homes for sale. Have things cooled a bit, a little bit, recently. Properties that are still priced right, they move when 10 to 12 days. San Francisco home prices up 9% in August year over year. That's down from the double-digit annual gains in July. It's one of only three of the top 20 U.S. markets to see a monthly price decline. Robert Schiller, who is a smart dude, according to the Nobel Prize, uh, it's the come on. It's, it's time for a correction, he says. Sales in the Bay Area fell in September down 1.8%. Prices should cool a little bit, simply due to the fact that San Francisco is a city of perpetually limited inventory. Its economy is also incredibly strong compared with the rest of the nation. So while the sky may not be the limit for prices, uh, they'll likely continue to move higher. Uh, he, you know, one analyst says he doesn't see a bubble. Uh, the Bay Area housing market, think of it as a stock market on some levels. It's driven by the high tech and biotech. And until you see high-tech and biotech collapse, you're probably not going to see housing collapse. They are linked at the side. You can find me online, robblack.com. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Down on poker road. I'm sorry to interrupt. It's just I'm constantly on the cook. I've tried to kiss you. I don't know if you.
Market definitely feels a little bit batty, which is apropos with Halloween just a day away. Bullish bias, it's rained since mid-October is less bullish. A little bit batty. The Fed said they're going to raise Fed fund rates sooner than later. Nope. But that's what the market's thinking. The Fed has said time and time again that it's data dependent. If that data comes in stronger, sooner than later would be right. If that data comes in weaker, the Fed fund rates could stay low for a very long time. Um, And people are, you know, we're in kind of a damnation game. You never want to play poker with the devil, you know. You win, you kind of got something you shouldn't have got. You lose, well, he's kind of got you. Um, Taking a look at yesterday, the Federal Reserve came out with their commentary that they're ending quantitative easing. Does that scare you? You shouldn't. It should give them a chance to potentially use it again if they need to. Some people think the Federal Reserve won't raise interest rates in 2015. The 10-year Treasury sits at 2.228%. That's a low cost of money. And that's typically a pretty okay thing for stimulating growth. Now, that's great as long as there's not inflation. Inflation, when you stimulate growth and suddenly demand goes up and there's not enough supply, people raise prices, and that's inflating. Um, I don't think we have a Federal Reserve that's out of touch. I think we have a pretty smart Federal Reserve. But with that said, uh, I think a lot of their tools don't necessarily directly have that impact on jobs and borrowing and home costs that, that that we would like to say, hey, look, this is an obvious, like, one plus one. Let's link them together. Uh, we don't have a commodity crush going on. We'll keep an eye on commodities because they'll show inflation. Commodity prices have fallen sharply over the last several months. Now, that's for a lot of reasons. Drought political tensions, geopolitical is the right way of saying that, I think, Fed policies being easy, zero interest rate policies in 60% of the world's economies. I don't think we could, I think we may see the Fed delay raising interest rates because there's slow to no global growth. Uh, But with that said, you know, slowly but surely we're seeing, don't call me Shirley. We're seeing a little bit of job growth here, a little bit of job growth there in the United States. We saw the economy grew more rapidly than expected in the third quarter, helping produce its best six-month performance since 2003. GDP numbers came out today. Ran at a rate of 3.5% in the three months ended September 30th. Now, the second quarter was up 4.6%, but keep in mind, that was aided by a very strong rebound after a very weak, harsh winter, you know, slow down productivity and slow down spending. 
Google Glass is now going to be completely banned from all U.S. movie theaters. Google Glass has been in the center of much uncertainty since the public started experimenting with the device. Uh, there's some subtlety compared to, obviously, if you're going to like tape a movie versus using like a smartphone or a camera. But Google Glass has been banned already now in all movie theaters, some bars, uh, Las Vegas, within all the city's casinos. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't see myself being a Google Glass kind of guy, ever. You know, those are famous last words, right? I'm going to be that douchey-looking dude with Google Glass on tomorrow, like the day after I said, I don't see myself with those. Never, ever, never. Then again, I don't see myself with uh, a millennial beard. Never, ever, never, ever. You know, the demand for the beard is so high that, and I, I swear on my mother's life, that men are actually getting beard transplants in big cities like uh, New York City. Uh, I don't even know what a beard transplant is. It doesn't even sound right, but I supposedly it is. Okay, okay, okay. So I know a lot about money. I know a lot about finance. I know a lot about credit, a lot about insurance. I was asking someone who cut hair recently, like, how does your body, how does your, why does, why do ears get hairier as we age? Like, she cuts hair, so I figured she might have a clue. Like, I was just trying to make conversation. Maybe I was exhausted. Why do your ears get hairier as you age? Like, those are the things that go through my head. But then I started thinking about it, and certainly there's different cycles in our lives where hair comes out of nowhere. Um, armpit hair, for example, chest hair. Like, I don't, I don't ask the question, like, why do we get chest hair at age 16? But uh, you can see that my hairdresser or hair cutter person was not amused. <laughs> but that's okay. Sometimes you ask stupid questions, and I felt pretty stupid asking that question, for sure. Um, European markets are acting up on a weak performance from the banking sector there. Those initial claims that came in today at 287,000, pretty good number. Is investing in stocks gambling? That's what I'll talk about very, very soon. I don't think so in any way, shape, or form. Gambling gets tougher the longer you do it. Investing gets easier the longer you do it. I'm Rob Black.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for being a part of the show. I look at this, and I know this is kind of silly to say out loud, I just a family show. Like I, I try to connect with my listeners as much as possible. I know that there is what some people would, you know, think of as a mean character inside of me. It's a character. It's not the real me. I have to talk some, what I would refer to as some tough love on occasion. Um, is that cool? No. Uh, not if you're on the bat wrong side of it. If you call in with a dumb question, I'm going to say, hey, that's pretty stupid. I've already explained today I had a dumb question for the person who cuts my hair. Um, we all do it. This is an area that I feel very comfortable giving advice in. So hopefully you're good with my efforts. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220. I'll talk millennials. I'll talk investing. I'll talk much, much more. Let's talk a little real estate right now. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's BayAreaLoanSource.com. He typically comes on, talks real estate, talks mortgage lending with me. I saw a recent report out that the average wage in America grew 1.7% last year. Now, some cities were better than others. San Francisco up 3.7%. Baltimore up 3%. Seattle up 2.7%. Atlanta up 25 in income. D.C. up 24 St. Louis and Houston also on the list. What's interesting to note about that is real estate skyrocketed in San Francisco in the last year. Yes. And part of this is, you know, the medical and science jobs in San Francisco are paying a little bit more. But also, like Twitter and the IPO um, made a lot of little millionaires. And millionaires don't mind paying 10% over asking price as long as they get the location, location, location. So the incomes, in my opinion, is what drives real estate. So across the United States, real estate incomes in the United States have been pretty stagnant for 10 years. And yet we've had a bubble rise, pop, and rise yet again. Um, incomes to what you do, Tony, how important is the ability to fund your monthly mortgage versus collateral? Which is more important, your capacity to pay back the mortgage or the collateral? The amount of money you put down. The capacity. Okay. You have to be able – you could have – I mean, we have FHA, for example, that you, know, you put as little as 3.5% down. You have down payment assistance programs that are offered by you know, your, your local counties and cities uh, with uh, 100% financing. So – but you still have to pay it back. Um, there's a lot of what they call streamlined products, even with FHA and, and Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. You still have to qualify. Even under HARP, you still have to qualify. So it's the capacity, but you also have to have a good credit score. So in the past, it was just your credit score. Now it's your capacity and your credit score. It's interesting to note that I refer to it as the three C's of credit, but there's you know more to it than just that. But there's your credit score, i.e. the first C. That's important. There's the capacity, your ability to pay back, i.e. what's your income. And then there's the collateral, how much money do you put down. I recommend people put down some money. I'd rather you have skin in the game. Then you're going to be thinking more importantly about what you're buying. When you're putting 3% down or 0% down, you're like, Psh, I'll buy in stock and hope it goes up. It's all leverage. But if you're putting 20% down on the peninsula, it ain't all leverage. And you're thinking, which do I think is going to be better over the long term, peninsula or Stockton? At this point in time, Stockton. Peninsula. 
probably Stockton now. Well, yes, yeah, but you're looking at, at you know, you know, a lot of cities in the peninsula are over their peaks in 2007. Right. We were just looking at that today. So, um, yeah, you, just the theory of, of buy where the opportunities are, buy where nobody else is buying. Um, can, can also help you as an investor. But, you know, most people today, we have a lot of investors that have pulled out. Right. So most people that are buying today are not the speculators. And that's one of the reasons why we're seeing such low amount of inventory is changing hands right now. In the mortgage process and the refinance process, you taught me something kind of important, it, or you shined a little more light on it. The importance of, if you have an old credit card, use that one versus the new credit card because it's more, it's an aged account. And that goes into your credit score of how long have you had the accounts open? How long have you been able to use this without blowing up? For the purposes of radio, I answered your question in a very short form. But it, there are many, many factors that go into oh, the approval process. Not only the, the – the, you can have – for example, if you purchase a house, you have a, 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 an appraisal contingency. And most people think that's your value. It's not. It's the actual you – know, the, the, the condition of that report. It's the quality of it. Um, your credit score, you have to, you have a great credit score, but if you don't have enough trade lines, which are those credit cards and those old credit cards that have tenure, um, you can't get a loan. I, there was one guy who had real estate transactions in the past, mortgages. He's paid off his loan. He paid off all his credit cards. They're all gone, and he had a great credit score, but he had no trade line. He can't buy a house, yeah. and he had great income. So it's a combination of every factor and the scenario itself. Are you doing cash out? Are you buying an investment property? Is it a second home? Is it a condo? Is the condo in litigation? Um, then you have to change transactions Is it at a higher rate. Do you qualify with the debt ratio? So there's, it's everything that goes together. Even things like if you want to show that you've got cash and your parents give you $10,000, you want to season that money. You want it in that bank account for three, four, five, six months and not 30 days because it's all going to be seen. You, you think you're going to hide something from a mortgage lender? I can't. You can actually get gifts from, from family, and, and then FHA opens it up a little bit more. But um, that's true. If you, you have to be able to document your uh, your down payment. But the, the rules in general are just getting tougher, Rob. Sounds good. It's Tony Mendez. He's my mortgage lender. You can find him online at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and much, 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 much more. Anything you ever want to talk about, we can talk about, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Rob at robblackshow.com. I highly – I don't want you to be afraid – I want you to become a better investor, and um, part of doing that is being patient, um, giving yourself time to learn some of the mistakes that you are going to make. Um, that's part of the thing, is you are going to make mistakes, um, all of us. Now, hopefully make the mistakes when you're younger, and I know that uh, sounds horrible, but that's the truth. Um, because as you kind of learn to make these mistakes, you kind of learn to play the game correctly. The Federal Reserve yesterday said that they're going to stop quantitative easing. What's that mean? It means we may be in for a change in how to invest, but may not be until 2016. How long will they keep rates low? I think the big change comes when they start raising rates, and I want you to be prepared as an investor for something a little bit different. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Did I do wrong?
Hopefully you got to watch the World Series last night, but the best part of the World Series was after the game. You might have turned it off. The Chevy guy. The Chevy guy, if you don't know, it was the most... You have to look it up. Google Chevy guy. Uh, Madison Baumgartner wins the series MVP, and because of that, he wins a Chevy truck. And the presentation by Rick Wildey, Rick with two Ks, which is... The most awesome name for a guitar shredder. Like, if I had a metal band, I, I, and I was the, the uh, shredding guitar guy, I'd definitely change my name to Rick Wild with two Ks. <laughs> um, so he was a Kansas City fan, and he had to be pushed up on stage uh, to present this truck. And uh, it's maybe a minute long, but it is the funniest television you'll see. Like, if you fell asleep, you woke up and thought you were watching Saturday Night Live. Now, what's awesome about this is, what he said, he's given the award, and he's nervous as all heck. I counted nine ums and uhs during the one-minute segment. At one point, I was worried he was going to have a heart attack and die right there on camera. But he was giving away the truck, and he's reading his cue cards. And um, the Fox reporter was just looking at him like, uh, you going to get through this, dude? Uh, um, the commissioner of baseball, Bud Selig, he kept looking back as if, like, what the is going on here? So, but Rick's famous line now is, it combines class winning and leading, um, you know, technology and stuff. <laughs> he already has a parody account up. And what's the best part about this is Chevy's embracing it. Good for Chevy. So Chevy's getting, and we're talking about we're talking about the truck they gave away after the World Series, which is amazing. What great advertising! You'd almost think that this Rick Wildey, who could uh, be classified as the funniest thing since Tommy Boy, uh, Truck of the Year 2015 Chevy Colorado, uh, tweeted out. Chevy tweeted out has awesome hashtag technology and stuff. You know you want one. <laughs> It does have some pretty awesome technology, uh, internet connections and things like that. But I think what I found interesting about it is he's already got a, t- a Twitter account, um, and people are following him on insane levels. What a smart thing for Chevy to not yell at him about, but to totally embrace and say, this is fun. Um, it was hilariously awkward. It shows that doing radio or television can make you nervous. Uh, but I give a lot of props to social media for um, appreciating this. Class-leading technology and stuff. That one's not going to be played down anytime soon. I would imagine that right now the people at Chevy are trying to think, okay, how can we get him in a Super Bowl ad? How can we do this exact thing in the Super Bowl or play off that? 
because sometimes the best thing to do is to make fun of yourself. Out there today, U.S. kind of grew 3.5% better than expected. Um, that's past performance, so it doesn't really mean that much to me. Uh, Tim Cook penned a piece for Bloomberg Businessweek where he comes out of the closet for the first time in his professional life. He says he's trying to maintain a basic level of privacy. He says he comes from humble roots, and he doesn't seek to draw any gay CEO in the S&P 500. Um, he says he doesn't consider himself an activist. He says he's benefited from the sacrifice of others. Um, talks about Apple being, he's fortunate that the company works for, has long been an advocate for human rights and equality. He talks about when he arrives for breakfast or his office each morning, he said he's um, greeted by the famed framed photos of Dr. King and Robert Kennedy. I don't pretend that writing this puts me in their league. All it does is allow me to look at this picture to know that I'm doing my part, however small to help others. We have the sunlit path towards justice together, brick by brick. This is my brick. So that's interesting. Um, no commentary from me. I'll just throw it out there and let you digest it. First openly gay CEO of an S&P 500 company. I've got a Pablo Picasso in my office, a picture of Pablo Picasso that was once in Steve Jobs' office. Um, I acquired it in unique ways that I'm not allowed to talk about. But I look at it, and every day I go, you know, this is a piece of, of inspiration. You should put things around you that inspire you. Um, I have no opinion about the nurse who's bicycling in defiance of the quarantine order. Um, I can tell you a lot more Americans are going to die of the cold and flu this year. Uh, other infectious diseases, like tuberculosis. But no one's really talking about that. Anyhow, you can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show for all these years. I do not say this lightly. I feel blessed. Third quarter GDP beats expectations. That's a big story out there. Big Dow component visa reported better than expected results. The markets today, you know, on a day-by-day -day basis, I don't really care about the numbers. They were weaker after the Fed basically took uh, stimulus off the table of the buy box. We're done. We're done with quantitative easing three. Will there be a quantitative easing four? I would imagine down the road. Maybe not instantly, but during the next recession or when we get there. And we will. 800-516-1220 um, to get your calls in there. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. And if you get a chance, Google Chevy Guy. Um, and look at the, the faces of the other people involved and not just him. And painfully awkward sometimes is painfully embraced in a humorous way. Done more right Find me online at robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com or robblack.com, robblack.com. Uh, Twitter, robblackshow. YouTube, robblackshow. Take a break here. We'll be back soon. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.